The views and opinions reflected in any of the stories narrated are solely those of the story contributor and are not necessarily that of the Nightmare Society. This podcast features adult content, so listener discretion is highly advised. And if you or anyone you know is struggling, help is available. Please see the resources in the show notes. Hello again, Nightmare Society, and welcome to another episode of True Horror Stories. We've got some pretty creepy ones for you this evening. Break-ins, hold-ups, that kind of thing. So, I hope you enjoy. Now, get comfy and prepare yourself for another episode of The Nightmare Society. This was at my first house with my wife. I'd say it was July or maybe June of last year, so it was pretty hot out, as summers in the southwest can get, even with a drought on. As is our custom in the summertime, my wife and I sleep in our underoos and a t-shirt and leave all the fans going. This summer was particularly bad and we had moved to the end of our bed to be right under the fan and by the window in our bedroom as our air conditioner was in the last stages of life. Now before this night and week I had been up in the northeast for work while she had been home alone with our dog. She had called me a couple of times to let me know how things were going and that on a few nights she thought she heard people outside of our bedroom window. Normally this isn't anything to cause alarm as we live by a high school and our neighborhood is full of kids. We had had ringing and running and other stuff during Halloween so this wasn't really anything to get upset over, or so I told her. Probably just our neighbors having a party, and so the kids were on the side of the house smoking, etc. Anyway, I get home the next week and proceed to get re-acclimatized to the ridiculous heat and sleeping uncomfortably at the foot of the bed. The first two nights I'm back, nothing happens, so we both kind of put the previous incidents out of mind. The third night, I have decided to stay up, My wife has a meeting in the morning and needs to get to sleep early, and I have a tendency to snore. So, to make things easier, I plugged in my laptop, surfed a few football forums, and was generally being useless on the couch. All of our lights are off except whatever glow comes from my laptop. However, at like 12.30 at night or so, it was really late, someone rings our doorbell, which wakes the dog. I kind of freeze in the living room as this is not the normal time that we would get our doorbell rung, even from the partying kids. And so I hunch down as my wife calls out my name and asks who's there. I raise my hand and she falls silent. I'm basically looking out our blinds to see if kids are running around, and there appears to be no movement. I start to relax. And then the door handle jiggles, followed by a light knocking. At this point, my wife kind of whimpers and the dog goes off the handle, which has me crawling, so as not to be seen by the door's window, back to our bedroom. 
Shut him up. I tell my wife, who is now holding our brave cocker spaniel, who has decided to step up to the plate. The jiggling and knocking stops, and now I've made it to the bedroom and have started loading my shotgun. It's a breech loader, so I just don't leave the shells in it. A few minutes pass, and I'm eyeing the door when suddenly we hear tapping at the bedroom window. My wife screams, and a decidedly male voice outside says, I know you're in there. This is the point that I get up and move to our back door as the knocking has begun again at the front. In addition to this crap at the window, I get outside and the dog comes out in the backyard with me growling and barking up a storm. I manage to kick open our rusted gate and come tearing out the side with the dog sprinting off in front of me. Now mind, I doubt the Cocker Spaniel was that intimidating, but I would like to think the six foot four dude carrying a double barrel was because I couldn't see the guy's face, but I saw his silhouette, and when he saw me come around and raise the gun, he took off running. Naturally, I gave chase with the dog in the lead and followed this guy over a neighbor's lawn and into the alley where he got into a car and sped off. I wish I had fired a shot, like in some weird Rambo sense of justice way. Instead, I stood there with the gun and got the dog in the house. I spent the rest of the night sitting up, armed in the bedroom, while my wife had nightmares. We called the cops in the morning, but since the dudes didn't leave any evidence and I couldn't remember the license plate, there wasn't much they could do. So to the guys tapping on the window and knocking on the front door, you're not welcome in and let's not meet. So, in the summer of 2016, I was 15 years old. This is when all of this weird stuff was happening to me, my little sister, and my mother. We went on a road trip to see my grandparents. Now, at this point, we were on our way back home, and we were in Georgia. We stopped at a gas station at around 6 a.m. It was still very dim outside. My sister and I were dead asleep until I heard my mom leave the car. My sister was still asleep. My sister and I were laying in the back seat. Her head was on the opposite side of the car and we were directly next to each other on the seat, so I could see perfectly out of her side of the car window. Anyway, so I wake up and I'm really groggy, but suddenly my attention is jerked to its maximum capacity when I heard a horrifying, pitchy laugh that didn't even sound real. (laughs) In that moment, I thought I was in some weird, lucid dream state until I snapped back to reality. So I sat up 90 degrees and looked out of the windshield, and there was this man with a red balloon dressed up very similarly to the original Pennywise, but dirtier and cheaper. I watched in actual freaking disbelief as he went from person to person, laughing in people's faces. He went up to a little girl, probably six years old, and her mother, and pinched her cheek got up in her face and said something along the lines of, Hey, princess, wanna be my friend? And when the mom hit him and screamed at him to get the F away, he started maniacally (laughs) laughing again. Then he skipped over to my mom's car, saw me inside, literally shaking under my blanket. 
pressed his face up against the glass really hard and started pointing and laughing at me. I pulled the blankets up over my head, but I could still hear him laughing his butt off. I swear I heard him trying to jiggle the door handle a few times. The only thing that sent him away was the same mother of that little girl yelling at him and threatening the police. I heard him leave, and so when I sat back up, I saw him skipping away, and he was still freaking laughing. It almost sounded like gagging at this point. I mean, the dude was losing his mind. Later that day, I mean, honestly, like 45 minutes after he left, we came across an active missing person search in a forest by the road, not too far away from that gas station. I have no idea if he was involved, but I remember riding by and feeling like it could have easily been me or my sister. I was 15 then, now I'm 19. I mean, I'm a 19-year-old dude, and I love horror movies, gore, scary movies, ghost hunting, blah blah blah, but the details of this weird freaking experience have never left my mind. Although I was really upset at the time, I'm glad I have an interesting story to tell. But it's really scary to think about what could have happened if the doors weren't locked or something. Kind of makes me nauseous. So yeah, insane laughing clown man who basically made out with my mom's car window. Let's not meet again. This was about two years ago. It was in the spring and we had just become engaged after a short time of dating. All I have to say is, when you know, you know. In part of being in our newly minted fiancehood, we had to make the rounds to all the family. Mainly her family as she had the grace to meet mine on a surprise engagement party the week before. So her cousin was having a housewarming party and we drove out to the town, which was only three hours away. The party in and of itself was fun. There was barbecue, some ice-cold sodas, and beer. All in all, a fun party. We got to hear stories and meet my wife's cousins from Hawaii. It was great. We both had to work the next day, Monday, so we drove back around 3, knowing we would make it home for dinner. Nowhere in our minds did we have a notion where the afternoon was going to go or what was going to happen. We were on a small state highway that would take us back to our city when we noticed on the highway that there was a historical marker coming up. At that point, my then fiancé, now wife, starts talking about how she loves historical markers and she goes to investigate everyone she sees. This was a ritual she had with her dad when they would go out on road trips and they would take a cheesy picture by the marker. Now, this one we were seeing coming up is one that she'd been to before, but she wants to start the tradition with me. Of course, being the good fiancé I was, I said, sure, that'd be awesome. And so we take the turn to the road and start down the winding path off into the woods, which would lead us further into the boonies. As we drove, I got a slightly unsettled feeling, as I noticed these mobile homes and such parked here and there along the road which my fiancé noted that they weren't there when she last came through. I figured the state appropriated the land so people could live out there, but still it was like going through a coal mining town. Ratty children in the front yard, trash and dead cars left here and there, and everyone watching as we drive down the road towards the historical marker and her beetle. 
That was the thing. Everyone was looking at us. That's what unnerved me. Everyone was watching us, as if we were headed someplace we would not want to go. Where we were not supposed to go. And so we kept going, blissfully unaware of what laid out before us, singing to country music and laughing as we went off the highway and onto a small one-lane gravel road, a sign saying the historical marker was further down. We got there, and we were unwelcome. When we pulled up into the small meadow which led to some creek where years and years before, men fought and died, native and pioneers over some disagreement. The chief there was shot like five times before dying. I remember that from Wikipedia as I read it on my phone. But when we got into the meadow, we found ourselves looking out to a squat, red, portable shed. The windows blocked out by foil and smoke coming out of a hole in the roof. Outside, two broken cars were parked and one Chevy pickup with a huge cattle guard. We, of course, slowed down as the road was there, but all of this was in front of us. As we slowed down, three huge rednecks slipped out of the truck and stood there, looking at us, as if we weren't the nicest couple to just come down their personal bit of hell. One of them motioned to stop, and my fiancé is saying to me, This isn't supposed to be here. They aren't supposed to be here. And I tell her that I know that it's okay. Meanwhile, one of the men have come around her beetle and have looked in, and now is moving to behind the car. At this point, I look at her and unbuckle my seatbelt. She tells me to stay in, and I shake my head. I tell her I have this. Don't be scared. So I step out of the car and tell her to lock it once I shut the door. The biggest bubba moves from the edge of the pickup and comes over to me. You're in the wrong place. You know that? I tell him that I figured we were. We were just looking for the historical marker. He kind of laughs and nods on down past his shed and tells me it's down there. He also tells me the lady and I can go down. But by the grin he's giving me, I can tell that that would be a poor decision. I tell him we're going to head back up to the highway and we'll come back another time. That a fact? How he asked was as if he wasn't going to let us go. His buddy behind the car kind of chuckles and I could just feel my stomach wanting to crawl out of my stomach. Here was this guy looking at me and then he looks on back to the car. She yours? And there, as soon as he focused in on her, something in me snapped and whatever fear I had, I managed to swallow down and I looked at him in the eyes. Yeah, and she's coming with me when we go back to the highway. He looks at me and I don't blink. And I feel like I'm about to probably be shot or stabbed, but like hell am I going to let them in there to her? The other man stares back and then blinks before chuckling. He nods and the other guy behind me moves around and heads on back to the pickup. (laughs) You got balls. That's what he told me. And then he said that he hopes we make it to wherever we're going safely and waved before heading back into the pickup. I slowly nodded and got back into the car. Now shaking like a complete leaf, my fiancé looks at me and I tell her, go, go now. The tires skitter and we peel out as we back up and then swerve to get back on the highway. On the way back through the small community that surrounded the marker, we noticed most of everyone had head inside, at least while we were there, as if they knew something was going to go down and they would not have guilt on them. But we drove like fire was behind us and made it to one of the smaller cities before my fiancé would pull over and I got out and threw up. 
She asked me what I thought it was. Once we got me cleaned up and some water into me, I told her I thought it was a meth lab. Since then, we're a little more careful about what adventures we want to go on and what roads we turn on to. This story happened to me a few years ago. I was in my early 20s and studying in Paris, France. I was going home from university. I usually took a short bus ride and walked the rest of the way. That day I felt slightly uncomfortable. I could sense some guy looking intensely at me. I was used to unpleasant, unsolicited gazes, but this time his gaze felt beastly. It's hard to explain why, but I felt like prey being stalked. I decided to get off the bus a few stops early. I wanted to avoid him and didn't want him to see where I usually got off. Like I learned in the movies, I waited until someone else pressed the stop button and waited until the last moment to stand up and leave. I did not notice him getting off the bus. Just as I was feeling the relief of having escaped an uncomfortable situation, I look over my shoulder, and there he was, a few meters behind. I had the distressing feeling his eye had just looked away the moment I turned. I walked into his shop, took my phone, and pretended to be taking a call. When I couldn't see him anymore, I exited and made my way home as fast as I could. I kept looking back in the busy street. I zigzagged, crossed the street at every crossing. Finally, I believed that him getting off at the same stop as me was just a coincidence. When I reached my building, I looked back one last time and there he was. His alarming gaze on me, smirking. I ran up to my apartment, climbed the stairs four at a time, reached the top floor, squeezed through my door, locked it, and froze. My intercom was ringing. Don't ask me why I picked it up. I regretted it the moment I did. I could hear the opposite flat intercom ringing as well. He had pressed the buttons one by one, hoping someone would open. But now he knew my name. Gabriel? Oh, crap. I felt like a deer in headlights, frozen. Open the door, please, said a pleading voice. I just want to talk to you. Somehow I could not move or speak. Come to the window. Look at me. You'll see I'm not a bad guy. Something clicked. He wanted to locate my apartment in the building. I was not going to make that mistake. I hung up in shock. I waited by the door without moving for what seemed like hours. When I finally managed to calm myself, I called my long-distance boyfriend. He told me immediately to call the police. Why didn't I call the police? I don't know. Today, it would be the first thing I would do. The fear of making a big deal out of something not important, perhaps. What an idiot I was. I called my best friend instead. I don't want to feel alone. I told her all about it, and after a while, I felt better. Safe. We started laughing. Suddenly, the intercom rang again. Two hours had passed since I'd come home. I answered. Gabrielle, open, please. I still remember the chills I felt. He was still there. He was there all this time. I was silent, petrified. He was silent. That I could sense his trepidation. Gabrielle, 
let me in. I'm so thirsty. Just give me a glass of water. This broke the tension, and I hung up. Curled up in the corner, literally in recovery position, terrified. I waited. I was scared to make a sound. I knew he couldn't hear me from the hall, but I was scared to even breathe. The intercom rang again, and again. I didn't answer this time. I crouched on the sofa and fell asleep in exhaustion. I heard the intercom ring one more time in the middle of the night. I woke up in the morning afraid to leave my apartment. I called my dad who came to pick me up. There was no one in the hall, but there was a note on my mailbox. Gabrielle, I'm a nice guy. You should have opened for me. We immediately went to the nearest police station. The police listened and of course told me that I should not hesitate to call them. My dad called a locksmith to install digicode on the building door the same day and wrote a message to each of my neighbors asking not to open the door to anyone they didn't expect. He sat in the cafe in front of my building with two friends every evening for more than a week. I never saw the stalker again. After this episode, I used a different route to and from university every day. I kept my phone tightly in my hand and looked back every few meters. Today, I'm still very observing of my surroundings. I never answer the door if I'm not expecting someone. So, people, if you ever find yourself in any kind of uncomfortable situation, do call the police. Don't be an idiot like me. Be safe, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening, and until next time.